Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. What a, what a good thing it is to be in worship together. I want to call your attention to our text today. The text that we will study will come from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8. We're going to pick up the reading in Isaiah 8 verse 11, but we're going to do it a little bit differently today. And that is, I want you to turn and find the place in your own scripture and follow along. Um, but the text I want us to read today is really best translated. I, I love the translation that is offered by the Jerusalem Bible. It's a translation of the Bible that is not widely owned. It's, a, it's growing in popularity. Some of you may have that copy. Uh, we don't have it in the pew, so I'm going to put it on the screen as we read it. So this text, I want us to read it from this particular version just today uh, because I believe there's one part of this text that I, that I think really translates this phrase that we, we need to concentrate on in, in such a way that it's just beautiful beautiful, and I want us to live into it a little bit today, okay? So Isaiah 8, beginning in verse 11, we hear uh, these words. Yes, Yahweh spoke to me like this when his hand seized hold of me to turn me from walking in the path that this people follows. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, do not fear what they fear. Do not be afraid of them. It is Yahweh Sabaoth whom you must hold in veneration. Him you must fear. Him you must dread. He is the sanctuary and the stumbling stone, the rock that brings down the two houses of Israel, a trap and a snare for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. By it, many will be brought down, many fall and be broken, be trapped and made captive. This is the reading of the sometimes disturbing, but always true word of the living God. May God now add a blessing to the hearing and the doing of it. Let's pray together. God, in this moment, we simply pray that you would see us um, seeking you. Lord, see us seeking you. And in whatever way necessary this day, let us find you. Remove from the shoulders of your worshipers any burdens that keep us from encountering you in the fullest. And as we interpret your sacred word, we pray that we might be transformed now and forevermore. 
Amen. Sooner or later, your journey will lead you to the end of yourself. Sooner or later, your journey will lead you to the end of yourself, to the end of all of your resources, all of your bag of tricks, all of the great tricks and charms and maneuvers that may have helped you navigate life up till this point, there will come a moment, a season, where there's a dilemma that you can't solve, where there's a loss that you can't seem to get over, where there's a tragedy that you can't put your hands around, there will come a moment, and for some of you, it has already come, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, a moment in which you have come to the edge, the end of yourself. For others of you, it, it will. You don't have to go looking for it. It will come. And for some of you, even in this room right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're in the middle of this season. You've come to the edge and all the tricks and all the charms and all of the maneuvers that have worked for you to get you out of whatever it is that you're in at this point, they're just not working and you're out of moves. And I want you to hear me say something today. If this is where you are, if this is where you were, if this is where you're going to be, I want you to hear me say something. I want to suggest today. And in fact, I want to do it stronger. I don't want to suggest, I want to proclaim to you that if you're in that posture and you're out, you're out of ideas, you are now finally in the one and only posture that will make it possible, the one and only posture that will make it possible for you to experience the fullness of God. The fullness of God. It's a little bit like the man who was shipwrecked on a deserted, deserted island, uninhabited. He was, he was the only survivor from the ship. The ship went down and he found a way to survive for a few days at sea, floating among the debris. Until eventually a tide washed him upon this uninhabited island. And there he was all by himself. There's no one else there. And he has to begin surviving. For days he begins to pray and cry out to God to save him, to redeem him, rescue him. And for days he would go and look on the horizon and no one was help coming. No, no ocean liner, no boat on the horizon. He never heard the sound of an airplane coming overhead. Nothing. <laughs> so he began to have to survive. So he built a hut. He was able to gather resources, what he had at his disposal. He built a little thatch hut that he lived in, a little cooking area inside where he would cook uh, make fires and cook food. He'd dry his clothes, what little clothes he had left, and, and, and clean some water so he can drink clean water. He was beginning to make it work, barely, but making it work. And he goes out to hunt one day, and he comes home to this hut to find that it's engulfed in flames. And there he is. It, what little bit he had, the very little he had left, he's standing there and he's watching it just billow up in this, this cloud of, of smoke above his, his head and he's, he's now completely out. And about that time he hears the horn, the long horn of an ocean liner right behind him. He turns and he's rescued. 
He says to the captain, how did you know where I was? I'm in the middle of nowhere. How did you know where to find me? And the captain said, well, that was easy. I followed your smoke signal. Yeah. There, there will come a moment when as bizarre as it sounds, as, as, as uncomfortable as it is to hear, there will come a moment when you come to the true end of yourself and you're out, you've got nothing left and, and there has been this collapse of all your abilities and, and all of your clever ways to survive and pick yourself up out of your failure and yet when you come to the end it is then that you are poised for the love and action of God so that's what I want us to talk about today. For the last two or three weeks, we've been talking about failure. We've been talking about the ways that we fail. And, and we've been trying to look at failure through a different set of lenses, through a different set of eyes. And what I've been saying is that failure does something for us that, that success could never do. That failure creates a space in our lives for us to experience the, the love and the action of God unlike any other time. And if that's true then that means that, that we, we have to begin seeing failure in a different way. It doesn't mean we go looking for it. We try to create failure. But when it happens, we see it differently because now suddenly failure is not some obstacle on our spiritual journey. It is an avenue. An avenue. It's not an impediment to who we're becoming, but it's a pathway to who we're becoming. And that's what we've been saying these, these last two or three weeks but I want to take it a little bit further today. I want to take this conversation about when we fall apart a little bit deeper. Because I believe that there is an element in which failure is essential. <laughs> that sounds strange, doesn't it? But unless we get to the place where we are at the, I mean, the rock bottom of what we can do to pull ourselves out of our trouble, then we cannot fully know the experience of grace. And I want to suggest today that you might even put it this way. There's a kind of necessary failure. A necessary failure. One of my favorite thinkers and theologians and writers is Richard Rohr. And you know this because you've heard me talking about him. But my favorite book that he has written is Falling. Watch the name. There it is, Charles. Falling Upward. You know what he says? He says about failure, we must stumble and fall. I'm sorry to say, I love how he just kind of tucks that in there. Sorry to say, but, but we must stumble and fall. We must be out of the driver's seat for a while or we will never learn how to give up control to the real guide. It is the necessary pattern. Until we are led to the limits of our present game plan, and find it to be insufficient, we will not search out or find the real source, the deep well, or the constantly flowing stream who we know as Jesus. This is the truth, my friends. Like I said, we don't need to go looking for failure. It will come. <laughs> we don't have to create these scenarios. It will happen. But when they do, we can be set free from them, but not by denying our vulnerabilities. Not by pretending that we've got it still all together when on the inside we're falling to pieces. Instead, our freedom to be able to drink freely from that constantly flowing stream, our freedom is in the good news of the grace of Christ. 
But here's what Rohr says about that good news. <laughs> he says, before the truth sets you free, it tends to make you miserable. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, think on that for just a minute. That's, that's worth a tweet or two, isn't it? Before the truth sets you free, it tends to make you miserable. And what does he mean by that? He means that we are set free by, you know what Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That is absolutely true because of the good news of the gospel of Christ. But if the good news is to be good news, the good news is only good news because there was some bad news. And the bad news is, I'm doomed. And now the good news, I'm redeemed. So before the truth sets you free, it tends uh, to make you miserable. Because we have to get to the bottom of a thing to recognize how desperate we are for the grace that can pull us up. And you know exactly what I'm talking about if you've ever experienced the grace of God because you recognize grace is not free, it's not cheap, and it doesn't just get handed out to those who just ask for it. Grace comes because we've blown it. Grace comes because we fall apart. Grace comes because we couldn't handle it, as embarrassing as it may have been, as shame-ridden as it may have been. Grace comes. Um, I love what, uh, you know, Thomas Edison, the great inventor. Thomas Edison was uh, about 67 in 1914. And he had this manufacturing factory, this facility in uh, West Orange, New Jersey. It's where he had his inventions and he did his work and his research. And in December of that year, it burned down burned down. He lost a fortune. He lost a, over a million dollars worth of inventory and supplies. But with that, his records and his research and so much that he had been working on and attempting. And the next morning, he went to the facility and was walking through the ashes, walking through the rubble. And this is what he said. There is value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Now we can start anew. Beloved, is it possible that the disaster that has loomed over you, or maybe the one that is looming ahead, or the one that has haunted you because you can't get past it, is it possible that therein lies your liberation, the freedom that comes by being rescued? I love what uh, Julian of Norwich, oh, Good Julian. Listen to what she said about falling. She said, first, there is the fall. We all fall. Then the recovery from the fall. And both are the mercy of God. First, there's the fall. We fall flat. We fail. We just do. And then, by God's grace, there's the recovery from the fall. That's good news. <laughs> but both are the mercy of God. Is it possible to see in the thing that you are experiencing or the thing that you fear or the thing that is unfolded, is it possible to see not only the rescue of God as the mercy of God, is it possible to even see in the falling a gift from God? 
I think that is what's happening in this text that we read together a moment ago from Isaiah. All right? So the background of the text, the, the, the context of this is that the people are about to get slammed by the Assyrians. They're about to invade and life is about to shift forever. And the prophet is talking about it. And the prophet is talking about how the reason this is happening is because they forgot who they were. The people of God stopped acting like the people of God. To be the people of God, it meant that they knew something about loving justice, doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with God. To be the people of God, it meant that they never neglected the poor, the outcast, the widow, the orphan, the resident alien staying within their borders. These were the trademarks, the hallmarks of what it meant to be the followers of Yahweh. And they failed epically in all of those ways. And they began to worship other gods, give their allegiances, their devotion to other uh, gods. And, And because they had forgotten to live up to and into their identity as the people of God, they were falling down. And the most curious verse in the passage that we read a moment ago described God and the character of God in a unique way. Verse 14, I think. He is the sanctuary and the stumbling stone and the rock that brings down the two houses of Israel. And what an odd juxtaposition of descriptions about our God, that he is both at the same time sanctuary and stumbling stone. I wonder if we might think together about what it means that God is both our sanctuary and our stumbling stone. We know what it means to be a sanctuary. A sanctuary means a safe place. A sanctuary is the place where there is refuge, where there is comfort and nurture. That's where we're introduced to God. We're introduced to God as one who is a nurturing, loving, welcoming God. He is sanctuary. We we know this. In fact, there's, there's a sense in which he is the foundation. The word sanctuary there also means firm foundation. We read about that a moment ago, didn't we? How firm a foundation. We're about to sing in a little while another one of our favorite songs, right? Um, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So there's a sense in which it is not hard for us to imagine why the ancient prophet would say that God is a sanctuary. That God is a rock. But why would he say That the God who can be a rock can also be one who is a stumbling block, a stumbling stone. What happens when the very foundation upon which you have built your life is now the source of your tripping and falling on your face? The fact is, God is introduced as a stumbling stone. But how? I think in two ways specifically. You see, when we are introduced to God as children, if you're fortunate enough to be introduced to God as a, as a child, it's usually very nurturing. And there, what we learn about God sustains us for childhood and all the circumstances that we face in childhood. And, then, and we talk about it in youth and when we become adolescents and, and we, we, we get together with, with our, our youth and we study and we figure out what it means to love Christ and to follow Christ during the adolescent years. And that then meets our needs for the challenges that rise during the adolescent years. But here's the trouble with us. Most of us stop the deliberate pursuit 
of knowing God when we graduate. But we move into adulthood having not continued to study and read and pray and seek and attend worship and Sunday school and Bible study, attempting to develop deep and wide uh, faith so that by the time we get into adulthood, here's what happens. We absolutely meet the first or second crisis that we face, but now we reach back to our childhood faith to try to somehow deal with our adulthood problem and it's not enough. It's not enough. Well, Sean, aren't we supposed to have childlike faith? Yes, we are supposed to have childlike faith, but there is a difference between childlike and childish. And the best example for this is in the Bible. Remember when Mary met Jesus at the resurrection? And she's standing in the garden and she thinks she's talking to the gardener, but it's him. She doesn't recognize him. And he says, Mary. And she says, oh, Rabuni, teacher, rabbi, and she clings on to him because the only way that she knew him was as, his, as her teacher. And Jesus offers that interesting phrase, stop clinging to me, which on the surface looks like he's talking physically. Don't cling to me physically. But what he means is you're calling me rabbi. Do you not see who's standing before you? Stop clinging to what you used to know about me. Because there is so much more standing in front of you right now that offers you way more than what the Rabuni could have offered you. And some of us in our adulthood failures look for our childish understanding of God and it's not enough so we give up and we stumble on the stumbling stone. A second way that I think God is a stumbling stone is very much on purpose. It's the same reason that the people of Israel themselves had to stumble upon the stumbling stone because we as individuals, we as churches, we as nations can live out of our false self rather than our true self. We can live and grow and develop this false exterior and live out of a a projected false version of who we were intended to be. And when we do, we must trip and fall on something firm that allows the external falsehood of who we really are to break, shatter, and fall apart, revealing who we really are at the core. And that is grace. This is why I believe um, we talk about um, uh, the, um, oh, what's the word? You know the word. (laughs) Crucible experiences. You know what a crucible is, right? A crucible. It's like a, a stone cauldron that allows you to melt metals because the heat is so high, the temperature is so hot, you can put metals in it and it will burn and and the impurities will come out and you can actually transform the composition of the metal because of the heat. Your crucible experience is the thing that changed you. The thing after which you you were not the same ever again. We have national crucible moments too, don't we? We were never the same after 9-11, 15 years. Never will we be the same. There's a sense in which we fall down in order to wake up. Wake, O sleeper, says the writer in Romans. And we, we think about that ancient image of not only the crucible and the cauldron, but he's referred to as the refiner. 
the refiner's fire. You know, the refiner who would test metals and put metals into fire so hot that it would burn all the impurities, but it wouldn't be too hot as to ruin the metal. We read a, a song a minute ago, didn't we? How firm a foundation. And Glenn, as we were singing it, I thought, oh, I better pull that up. See, we're constantly sermon prepping. <laughs> and the third verse that you just sang describes, describes God's role in the furnace when we are in the fire. And, and the, the crucible or the refiner's fire is purifying us through our failure or through our trouble. It is for some redemptive end. And the third verse goes like this. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. Do you know what dross is? Dross is the impurity that comes up out of the refiner's process when all the impurities come up to the edge of the metal and then is scraped away. God says, I only desire to consume your dross so that in you is the truest version of who I'd hoped you might be. And we all know the test, don't we, for the refiner. When the refiner knows that the metal is ready, when the refiner knows that he's finished with this particular metal, that it's as refined as it can possibly be, he looks at it and is able to see on the surface his own reflection. And I want to just suggest that wherever it is that you have fallen or failed, regardless of how hot it happens to be right now, know that it is with purpose know that there is something redemptive happening in the process and that we must fall on the stumbling stone in order to fall down and wake up. So he finishes with the last verse that we read a little while ago. God is a trap. <laughs> Sounds funny to say it that way, but a snare for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. By it many will be brought down, many will fall and be broken, be trapped and made captive. But do you understand that the trap that God is, is not a trap to destroy you, not a, not a snare to devour you, but it's a snare to capture and lift you from your destruction. <laughs> now that's a good God. And the trouble is we never see it that way when we're in the middle of the snare when we're in the thick of the fire, when we have fallen headlong over the stumbling stone that is absolutely necessary for us. And the best way that I can think about describing this is to talk to you a little bit about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. I was doing some reading on him this week. And do you realize that Abraham Lincoln was quite the epic fail before you and I got to know him? In fact, can I just let you know about a couple of events in the life of Abraham Lincoln that really sets this whole conversation in context? Did you know that at the age of 23, Abraham Lincoln was a, was a partner in a small business that completely folded and went bankrupt? In 1832, he ran then for legislator. He ran for the uh, a position in the legislature and failed miserably. In 1833, he failed at another business venture. See, his partner was constantly drunk most of the time 
and they had to liquidate all of their assets. Well, while they're in the middle of liquidating all their assets, the only thing they've got left to make a living on, um, his partner dies, leaving all the debt to Abraham Lincoln. He then can't finish paying off the debt until he's 39 years old. 39 years old, he finally pays off the last debt, but meanwhile, in the process, he takes another job as a surveyor, but the creditors who are still after him repossess his surveying equipment and horse. In 1834, he was elected to the legislature, but within a few months, his sweetheart died. And his biographer said of him, uh, his heart followed her to the grave. The next year, he had a nervous breakdown. He lived on the verge of insanity. His suicidal tendencies were so great that he refused to carry a pocket knife. He was taken 300 miles away to the home of his parents to recover and recoup. So he ran for Speaker of the State House and lost. That'll make you feel better. In 1843, he ran for nomination to Congress and lost. In 1846, he finally was elected to Congress, but after his first term, two years, no one agreed to reelect him and he lost his reelection miserably. He tried to earn a living as a land officer, but was rejected, kicked out of that office in 1849. He ran for Senate in 1854, and when the state nominating convention was in a dead split, he gave up his position to his opponent. He was going for the nomination as vice president in, in the convention of 1956 and lost. And he tried for Senate again in 1958. What did I say? So you are listening. Okay. You're doing great. Just, just saying, you're doing great. So 1858, he ran again. You get my drift, right? You get my drift. He ran again, crushed in defeat. So in 1860, he said, uh, I'll run for president. <laughs> and perhaps arguably the greatest president in our nation's history, and perhaps the only mortal on the planet who could have done in that era what he did in that era. And yet, did you see his rap sheet? Fail, 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 fail. Try this business, fail. This business, fail. This position, fail. And it's as if God, the stumbling stone, who knew him and knew why he was made, was saying, nope, 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 nope. Nope. Yes. It is necessary to fall over God, the great stumbling stone, so that in falling down, we wake up. And beloved, if you're in a position where you have failed or you are failing or you fear that you may fail, know this, that when we fall in faith, we do not fall away from grace ever. We fall into it. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. God, we recognize that you are the rescue. You are the rescue. And we pray this day that we would have the faith to become vulnerable enough to let you do your job. 
May we yield ourselves completely and totally until we recognize there is nothing left but your love. Even now as we commit and worship, we pray that you would surge within the heart of someone this day to receive your love. In Christ's name, amen.